0: Welcome back to Work, Love, Pray, Real Talk, Grounded in Truth. My name is Jordan Johnston, and I'm so excited to dive into today's topic. Joining us today is Deborah Falada. You may know her from her website and blog, True Love Dates. You may know her from her books, True Love Dates and Choosing Marriage, or you may be completely new to her. Wherever you fall on Deborah's spectrum, you're in for a treat today. Uh, Deborah is a licensed professional counselor specializing in dating, marriage, in relationship issues, along with a spectrum of mental health disorders and issues. She is a regular contributor at Relevant Magazine and Crosswalk.com, with over 200 articles around the web about marriage, love, dating, sex, and relationships. She's also been featured on Today's Christian Woman, Proverbs 31 Woman, Christianity Today, and many other publications. Deborah joins us today to talk about relationships and what makes them healthy. We also have some questions from you all that we will answer at the end of the podcast. But first, I'm just going to let Deborah say hi. Hey, everyone. It's good to be here. Yeah, and we are so excited to have you join. I know whenever we share your articles, our audience just eats them up. So <laughs> I was awesome. really glad when you agreed to do this. Yeah. yeah, I'm excited. It's a good conversation we've got coming up. Definitely. All right. So let's start the conversation. Talk about relationships. I mean, it is definitely a hot topic. Everyone has an opinion and experience, so I'm really excited to hear your thoughts and wisdom on this topic. Since you are most definitely an expert,
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let's let's start chatting. What, what do you what have you got yeah. for today?
0: Yeah. So I guess the first question I have is your blog and your ministry at TrueLoveDates.com. It's all about spreading the message that healthy people equal healthy relationships. So what does that mean, and why is it important to start there? Yeah. I think
1: as a culture and society at large, we have a tendency to want to look out when it comes to our relationships. We're trying to find that person. We are focused on, you know, if you're single, you're focused on who are they going to be and where am I going to meet them? And if you're married, you're focused on your partner and what they need to change and what they need to work on and what they're not doing. We have a tendency to look out at other people. But the truth is we attract people on our level of health. And our relationships basically are based on our level of health. And I think sometimes we don't really get that. So we're trying to make the relationship healthy instead of getting ourselves healthy first. But the truth is healthy people attract healthy relationships. So the healthier you are, the healthier your relationships are going to be. And that's why I think we really have to start there. And start the conversation before we ever get to the conversation of healthy relationships. We've got to talk about becoming healthy as an individual and what that looks like first.
0: As a professional counselor, what is your opinion about how a person can begin the process of getting healthy?
1: You know, we all come from different backgrounds, different experiences, um, different things that kind of shape us and our actions and our decisions. I mean, everything you learned about love and everything you've learned about relationships pretty much comes from the family you were raised in your family of origin, how you grew up and how you learned about relationships. So I think sometimes we find ourselves doing things that aren't healthy and we don't even realize we're doing things that aren't healthy because they're the way that things have always been done in our life and the way right, that things right. have done in our family. So part of becoming healthy, it's it's kind of a three part process I kind of like to to think of it as a three-part process. It starts with dealing with our past, understanding where we came from, understanding how those things have shaped who we are today, Um, those past experiences, learning like, okay, maybe I don't want to repeat those patterns, or here are the things I do want to take with me into my future. So dealing with our past. Number two, understanding your identity in the present. And what I mean by that is who you are in Christ not who the world has told you you are, not who culture tells you you are, but really your identity in Christ and, and, and in your personal level of health in the present. And lastly, having a vision for your future and, and understanding where you're going. So getting healthy, you look at your past, you look at your present, and you look at your future and, and you kind of come up with a plan of, of how to become the best version of yourself that God has called you to be.
0: In your book, Choosing Marriage, you explain that part of the reason we don't succeed in marriage as a culture is because we don't have enough training. So what do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, we we when you think about it, um, uh, you know, again, my blog, my ministry, my books, I think the bottom line is education and education that is, you know, coming from scripture, but paired with psychology, paired with counseling, paired with understanding of how humans and how relationships work. And when you look at marriage, you know, it's funny because people are always shocked by marriage and they're shocked by divorce statistics and they're shocked by the, the breakdown of marriage in our culture. But in a way it's not shocking because we don't really train for marriage. We don't really prepare for marriage. If you think of every other license, Jordan, every other license from your driver's license, what it's like 100 hours of training. My husband to get his medical license required over 20,000 hours of training. Wow. <laughs> but to get a marriage license, zero hours of training, they literally hand it to you at the courthouse. And they're like, good luck with that. You know, hope you learn along the way. Oh, Wow. And I just feel like part of the problem in our culture is we don't prioritize the education and the training that comes with marriage. And we think just because we're Christians, we're going to do marriage well, but we don't apply that to any other area of our life. You know, we train for educations, we train for our careers, but for marriage, we kind of just go into it and then we're surprised when we face problems. And so really the whole message of choosing marriage uh, is the idea that the more we know about marriage, the better we're going to do. So it's kind of a, a condensed version of a training session, a pre-marriage counseling session, or even a post-marriage counseling session. It's kind of everything I feel that you need to know from my experience as a counselor paired with things I've learned in
0: scripture. And hopefully it'll offer people education and some training. In choosing marriage, you also talk a lot about sacrifice and selflessness. And you say that people often mistake selflessness for passivity, but there's a big difference. Why is it important to know that difference? Yeah, I thought that was a really important thing to
1: cover because the subtitle of my book is why it has to start with we is greater than me. So the problem is some people define that principle wrong. We is greater than me doesn't mean that we live lives of passivity. I think when we're talking about selflessness and sacrifice a lot in the book, but I don't want people to mistake that for being passive. You know, being selfless is an important part of the process of a healthy marriage, but being selfless doesn't mean that you always say yes to everything. Being selfless doesn't mean that you keep your hurts to yourself and you, and you don't tell people what's bothering you and you don't express your emotions. Being selfless does not mean that you fail to voice your needs because you have needs and you need to identify them and be able to express them in a healthy way. That's part of having a healthy marriage. So I just thought it was important right at the get go, before we talked about all these things and selflessness and sacrifice and all these different areas. And we is greater than me. I thought it was really important to just start the book defining um, the reality that there is a difference between being a passive person and being a selfless person. And knowing that difference is a really important thing to help you move toward healthy relationships.
0: You talk a lot about the differences between our expectations of marriage and the reality of marriage. What are some of those differences and why does it matter that we get our expectations quote unquote, right before marriage? Yeah. One of the biggest things I found
1: in doing research for this book, and I, I surveyed a thousand singles. To get content for this. Oh, wow. And I surveyed a thousand married people and asked them all kinds of questions about different aspects of relationships and what they thought about marriage before marriage and what they thought about marriage after marriage and um, everything from their sex life to their communication to their conflict and everything in between. And one thing that came out from all the research is the theme that many people said, I didn't think marriage would be this hard. And we hear that marriage requires sacrifice and and the majority of people that took these surveys acknowledge that they have heard the phrase marriage requires sacrifice, but they didn't actually know what that sacrifice entailed. And when they got married, a lot of people look back and said, I really had no clue. I didn't I didn't know I wasn't prepared. I wasn't trained. So there was five big picture areas that came up where the reality of marriage was so different from what people expected. And those five areas were finances, lifestyle differences, sexual issues, dealing with extended family, and personality differences. And, you know, you don't really assume that these things are going to be a problem until all of a sudden you're, you're faced with someone who's completely different than you or has different opinions, different lifestyle, family dynamics, like all these different things. You're now taking two people and you're combining them into one relationship one life so there's a lot of things that have to be sorted through and worked out and we've got to really move from our expectations of marriage to just facing the reality of marriage and
0: and figuring out how to navigate it in a healthy way where do you think maybe the lack of good expectations of marriage comes from i think mostly from culture
1: um because we are so naive and driven by like a Hollywood view of marriage and romance mm-hmm. and chemistry and this, this, you know, this charming Prince Charming and, and this fairy tale view of relationships. And, um, it's from the chick flicks we watch to the books we read to, um, just marriage is kind of portrayed falsely. And then here's the problem. You see all the glory of it. You know, like when you're scrolling through social media, you see all the beautiful pictures and the anniversaries and the engagements, but you're not getting a front row seat to the work that marriage takes. And I think sometimes when you're just downloading all of that stuff, and you're not really getting to see the nitty gritty, um, because nobody invites you into their home during a fight they're having in their marriage. Like you don't get to see the ugly side, the hard stuff. You're just seeing the good stuff. And, and so sometimes we can go into marriage with false expectations of what we think it's going to be. And, and sometimes that those false expectations really set us up for failure because when the hard things come, we think, well, I didn't think it was supposed to be like this instead of realizing, oh, Hard stuff is totally normal and hard stuff is actually part of having a healthy marriage because if you don't go through the hard stuff, you can't get to the good stuff. So just getting our expectations right, I think really sets us up for for good and healthy, long lasting
0: relationships. When my husband and I got married, uh, the church that we were going to, they offered premarital counseling. Like I feel like a lot of churches probably Mm -hmm. do. But do you think that is still a good resource for anyone getting married, or would you suggest maybe looking elsewhere? That's a good question, Jordan. You're putting me on the spot with that one, but I will say that. <laughs> I think
1: that the church is a, an incredible support. I love that they offer premarital counseling, and I love that they offer um, pre-marriage education. But I will say this: I really do believe there is a difference between marriage prep, which the church offers, and premarriage counseling. In my opinion, counseling is something that can only be offered by a professional counselor who's had the training. Um, and 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 any pastor will tell you there's certain things that pastors know how to handle, and there's certain things that they will refer someone to counseling for. So I think if you If it's all or nothing, I would, I would, uh, I would at least encourage you to seek out marriage prep at your church for sure. But in my ideal world, that is marriage prep at church and a few sessions of professional counseling to help you sort through some of that hard stuff that we talked about earlier. And maybe dealing with your past and underlying issues there, underlying beliefs that you might not pick up on with simple marriage prep. But you might need to dig a little deeper with someone who's a professional. So for those of you out there who can get both, I think it is beyond worth the investment to prepare yourself uh, for a healthy relationship. It's it's worth every penny.
0: Now you are a counselor. I so I kind of have a feeling I already know what your answer is gonna be. <laughs> um, but what do you what do you think about regular counseling after you're married? I know I've heard a lot of people that are huge supporters of that. Yeah. So, and I myself have thought about it and then I just have never really, you know, pulled the trigger on it. But I guess what are, like, what are your thoughts on that? What are the benefits of doing regular counseling? Even if you don't necessarily have issues. In yeah, your
1: well, here's the thing. The problem is people come to counseling late, way too late. They get in there when their marriage is on life support, like after it's almost dead. And then it's like, okay, let's, can we can we resurrect this? But that's not how counseling Mm -hmm. is meant to work. Counseling needs to be seen as, you know, preventative maintenance, kind of like you take your car in for an oil change every three months. You don't just wait until it clunks out you need to be on top of your marriage and making sure you're doing things right. You're, you're navigating conflict in a healthy way. You have proper communication. You're dealing with your sins and struggles in a healthy way. And, and how do you know you're dealing with it in a healthy way? You don't have someone else to compare your life to, you know, it's not like you're, you're sharing all these struggles with all your friends who are married. Usually this stuff is kind of kept in the dark and you navigate it alone until you realize, okay, this isn't working. Um, so I really think that every single couple, I think every person should invest in at least eight sessions of professional counseling for themselves as an individual, even if you think you have nothing to work on, uh, because you, your eyes will be open to the layers of things. And it's not that, that, that you go to counseling because you're sick or, or something's wrong. You go to counseling because you want to get yourself better. You want to, you want God to take you to the next level of healing and the next level of growth and the next level of maturity and I really believe if people saw it like that it would just take away that stigma Um, and and it's it's life-changing it is life-changing even counselors need counseling you know I've experienced counseling myself in the past and all of those people who have poured into me I mean I owe them my life I owe them my relationships because all of that education all of that perspective the more you know the better you're going to end up doing along the way.
0: What are your thoughts on Christian counseling versus, I guess I'll call it traditional counseling? Um, Because I know you yourself, you like to come at things from a Christian perspective, but you also still have that professional foundation. Well, I would say for me,
1: I am a counselor, a professional counselor, who happens to be a believer. And so being a believer in Jesus influences all of everything I do and, and and what I consider to be truth. And I have a very holistic approach to counseling because I believe that you've got to be healthy psychologically. You've got to be healthy mentally and emotionally, but you've also got to be healthy spiritually and they all work together. They all work together. You can't just have one piece that you're focusing on. So in my opinion, I think it's invaluable to find a professional counselor who is going to walk the journey with you in a holistic way and focus just as much on your psychological health as your spiritual health. Because spirit and truth go hand in hand and you've got to have both in order to to get the best results in the end and in order to be the healthiest that you can be.
0: Now, this is maybe switching gears a little bit, but we have the holidays coming up. Uh, so I wanted to get your advice for anybody maybe facing some different holidays this year. So, for example, anyone who's newly married and they're dealing with blending families and traditions. So I guess how would you suggest they do that dance? Yeah, that's a
1: it's a tricky one. And again, you know, when we talked about the expectations of marriage versus the reality of marriage, one of the number one things that I mentioned was extended family and dealing with extended family. And that revolves around holidays and um, just day in and day out life and learning to set boundaries. One of the things that has stuck with me all the years of being married um, is the idea of learning to draw a circle around your relationship with your spouse. And that circle is a circle of protection. Mm-hmm. That circle Belongs to nobody else but you and your spouse. Your kids are not in that circle. Your siblings are not in that circle. Your parents are not in that circle. Your friends are not in that circle. It's a circle that you just draw around you and your spouse, around your marriage. And the focus of that circle is learning to become we. And in order to learn to become we, you've got to let go of me. You've got to let go of, okay, I came from this past and here's our family traditions that we do. Or I came from this past and well, here's what we do. We celebrate on this day or we celebrate on that day or we only open one present before Christmas. And and then we wait till Christmas morning to open the rest. I mean... There's so many traditions that make up who you are. And I don't think you should, I'm not saying you should just let go of all your traditions, but I am saying you need to figure out what your new norm looks like because it's it's more about creating your own traditions, starting from scratch. What works for you and your spouse? How do you become we instead of two me's? You've got to learn to become we and and focus on setting the boundaries that you need in order to make that happen. So- if you come from different holidays and different holiday traditions, it's like, okay, we can either pull a little from yours and pull a little from mine to make our new tradition, or we can start from scratch and start making new things and new memories and building new experiences with this new family unit that God has given us. And so um, I think the bottom line is adjusting our perspective and making sure we're focused on the we and not the me.
0: Well, and then, you know, you have kids inevitably, and then you're kind of in the struggle of wanting to have holidays and memories and build all that at your house, you know, but then you might have family that lives out of town and they want you there. So what can you do to make everybody happy in that situation?
1: I really believe you have to get creative. Um, Prioritizing your family requires extra work. It requires extra creativity something that we've done in our family is we'll celebrate with the extended family on a different day. So for example, in our family, Christmas morning and and, and Christmas afternoon, like the the day of, the the day of Christmas is a really special day for our family and our kids. And we don't want to rob our extended family. We don't want to rob the grandparents of that day. So what we do is we'll set a, a time to have early Christmas with the grandparents and, you know, maybe, maybe it's not Christmas day, but maybe it's the week before or the week after. Um, and just learning to get creative with extending the holidays and, and, and including everyone and making sure that we're not, um, that we're not making people feel left out or hurt. Sometimes people will get hurt and that's something you've got to be okay with, but I think to do what you can do to include and, and that, if that means being creative and maybe breaking tradition in some ways by choosing a different day or a different time. Um, I think the bottom line though, is understanding that your family is your priority and and learning to draw a circle around your marriage and around your family and um, being, being clear with that, with your extended family, communicating that in a loving,
0: in a loving, healthy way. For anyone who's single. This holiday season, what advice do you have for them? Because I know this this can be a pretty tough time of year. Holidays can definitely
1: be hard when you're single, and um, I think not just for singles, but for all of us, it's so easy to focus on what God is not doing, and and what He has not mm-hmm. given you, and what you want, instead of focusing on what He is doing and what He has given you, and and how He is at work in your life. And so for me, looking back even at my time as a, as a single during the holidays, um, learning to cherish that time I had with family and learning to see the big picture of the relationships that God had given me at the time. Um, I just even think, well, you know, there was a season of, of being single where I was living at home with my parents and it, it sure did not feel amazing at the time because, you know, all the stigma of like, oh, you're living at home and what's going on there. But I was so thankful that God was able to shift my perspective and help me see like, this is time you will probably never get again. You have no distractions. You have no spouse. You have no children. And you have your family. You have your grandparents that are still with you. You've got your siblings. You've got your cousins. You've got your friends. And I just, um, I'm thankful that God allowed me to see those relationships as so precious and to, to focus on what God had given me. And to focus on investing in those relationships. So that would be my advice to you is focus on the people that God has placed in your life and cherish those moments. Um, and then, you know, make new traditions for yourself. Like get a bunch of friends together and do a friend's giving, you know, and, 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 and just cherish the relationships that God has given you. Pour into the community that God has given you. And learn to enjoy that while you wait, learn to focus on what God has given you while you continue to ask him for what you want, because otherwise our longings can completely rob us from being able to live life here and now. So I think it's really important that we have a proper perspective and then invest in the people that God has given us.
0: Mm, I love that. And like you said, I mean, that applies to people that aren't single as well, you know, just really... Remembering to embrace yeah. everyone at the holiday season. I love that. So, part of Work Love Pray uh, is we love to reach out to our audience and get any questions from them that they might have for our guest. So, we put out an all call for any relationship questions that they would want to ask a relationship expert. Um, and we got some pretty good questions. So, I wanted to go through some and hear what you had to say. So the first one is from Amy, and she asked, how do we balance don't ever be needy with also being a woman who has needs at times? Seriously, we all have needs at times. And
1: first of all, the the phrase don't ever be needy uh, is not really biblical. (laughs) Like it's not it's not a healthy phrase (laughs) if you think about it, but it's something that's perpetuated in our society. Don't be needy. And, and then, and then the extreme of that is having needs all the time. And in choosing marriage, I kind of talk through this because, um, I think sometimes in Christian culture, we get an unhealthy perspective on relationships. I visited a college recently and this young woman approached me at the end of my seminar. And she was like, I just am living for one thing. And that's to find a husband and get married. And I, you know, I I find my other half and, um, that God created me for this. And I, I just know that I'll be fulfilled when I get there. And I get that that's something that's perpetuated in our culture. And I, trust me, I, I'd be the first to tell you that finding a good spouse is such a gift. But sometimes we go into relationships half full emotionally, half full psychologically, half full spiritually. And we hope that this other person is going to fill us up. Mm. But guess what? They're half full and we're half full. And when you put two half full people together, you have maybe one full person, but then you realize it's still two half full people. Like you're still missing something. And it's something that a relationship can't do for you. And there's this neediness that comes, this desperation that comes when you go into relationships that way. And I call that in psychological terms, codependence. When we go into a relationship it's going to do for us and how it's mm. going to fill us and how it's going to heal us and give us security and purpose and meaning or whatever it is we're looking for. But then on the opposite of that spectrum is when we have a view to relationships that we have to be completely independent, need nothing from anyone ever. Um, and that's not a healthy way to live either. God calls us into relationships of interdependence, a healthy Need A healthy decision to choose each other, not out of our desperation, but out of our commitment, out of our love for each other. Not because we need the other person to feel full, because in healthy relationships, God is filling you up and you're loving the other person out of the overflow of what he's given you. So I kind of want to drop those extremes of having codependency or having complete independence. But find that healthy medium of interdependence, the life that God has called us to relying on each other
0: in a healthy way, not because we need to, but because we want to, because we're choosing each other. The next question that we got was from Lydia, and she asked, besides praying, what can single, healthy, godly women do to encourage men to also be healthy Ooh, and godly? That's an interesting
1: question. Um First of all, Lydia, I will say this, there is nothing you can do (laughs) to encourage somebody else (laughs) other than yourself to be healthy and godly. And like I said earlier, healthy people attract other healthy people. So the best thing you can do is to become healthy because you're like a magnet. Human beings are like magnets. We literally attract people on our level of emotional Mental, spiritual health. If you're attracting the wrong kind of guys in a relationship, it's important to step back and say, okay, how healthy am I? And why am I attracting these type of relationships? Why am I okay with these type of relationships? Because the healthier you are, the faster you're gonna recognize when a relationship isn't good or healthy for you. And the best way to attract healthy people is to focus on your personal health, your personal relationship with God, your personal, emotional, psychological health because that is the best way to guarantee that you're also going to allow people in your life that are healthy you can't make someone be healthy but in how you live your life you can impact people you can encourage others because when they're watching you get healthy it can motivate them to get healthy and I think more than anything you start recognizing the kind of people you're okay with and the kind of people you're not okay with when it comes to relationships so Lydia Keep focusing on yourself and prayer is a big part of that. It's one part of that process. There's so much more than just praying because God asks us to trust him. He asks us to pray, but then he asks us to take steps of faith in the direction of healing. So what does that look like for you? Maybe that means enrolling in counseling. Maybe that means getting a mentor. Maybe that means identifying some of your sins and struggles and areas that God wants to heal you from. Maybe that means learning to communicate in a healthy way or navigate conflict in your life, your life in a healthy way. Whatever it means for you, it's about taking that next step and getting yourself to the next
0: best place of your personal health. So another question that we got was from Heather, and she asked, how can you love best without keeping a ledger? And she says it can happen subconsciously, which I totally agree with.
1: Yeah, it's so true, especially in relationships and especially in marriage. I think it's easy for us to go into it kind of keeping tabs and keeping track of who's done what and what you owe me and and how much I've done. And that, that ledger can just start piling up and I think it's natural and normal. Um, but the problem is when we, when we keep a ledger like that and, and when we view our relationship in that way, it can start causing bitterness and resentment to build up in our hearts and in our relationship because we feel like the other person owes us something or we feel like you know they're not holding up their end of the relationship. And when we start viewing relationships like that, it can really cause damage to the structure of our relationship. So the thing is we all struggle with this, you know, it's part of our, um, thinking and, and part of this is restructuring the way we think about relationships. And, and for me in my marriage, one thing that has been so helpful for me that I've learned along the way after over a decade of marriage is the idea that I can't keep track of what he has done for me versus what I have done for him. The main thing that I need to keep my focus on is what God has done for me. Um, Mm -hmm. Because when you view your relationship in the lens of what God has done for you, you realize that you can always do more um, because you can't outmatch God's love. and, And you can always give more and love more and forgive more and listen more and have more grace and more mercy and more patience and kindness. And when you can view your relationship in that way, it's so much easier to give to your spouse because you're not giving them because you expect them to give back to you. You're giving them because of what God has given you. And I think when we can approach relationships that way and, and kind of put that ledger on the back burner and, and see it more about what God has done for us and what he's calling us to do for others, it helps take away some of the, that bitterness and resentment that can pile up and just shifts our perspective
0: on the relationship. This last question. I love that we got, because I feel like there's probably a lot of forward women dealing with this. Um, And it's from Molly. And she asks, what is your advice for juggling the dating scene and a full time job? Yeah,
1: it is tough. And and honestly, the dating scene isn't what it used to be. I just did a series (laughs) on my blog called hashtag the dating scene. And I just asked a bunch of questions. I sent out a survey to all my singles asking them, what does the dating scene look like these days? You know, because it's changing constantly from one year to yeah. the next, it's changing. Um, and it was really interesting uh, to see that still one of the number ways people are meeting is in the context of community and in the context of church related activities. Like that's oh, still one of the number one ways that people are meeting um, in a Christian setting as well as family and friends. So, (laughs) so it's not like, like what we imagine, like, Oh, you just walk into a, you know, like a movie, you walk into a bar and you meet somebody like that's not healthy, nor is it the way that people are meeting each other. So, so how people are meeting each other is by connecting and doing the things that you love by being involved in community and by making that a priority. Uh, so if you're single, you have a full time job, you're juggling your career and your life, you need to make sure that you are carving out time to prioritize relationships, and to prioritize connection and to prioritize community. And here's the thing, the healthiest dating relationships start with friendship, you know, so are you even involved in activities and experiences that you can even cultivate friendships? Or are you living in such isolation that you don't have time for anyone or anything outside your job, you know? And so I think finding that balance means we have to create it. We've got to prioritize community and connection with people. Um, because if you don't prioritize it, nobody else will. And so learning to kind of carve out that time in your calendar and make space in your life for people and for new things and for new experiences is not important is not just important for dating. It's important for becoming a healthy person, you know,
0: a person who's connected. Well, thank you to everyone who submitted those questions. I think they were great questions. And I'm hoping they kind of ignite some conversations between our audience. And Deborah, huge thank you to you too, for joining us today and just talking all about relationships and showing us how healthy people equal healthy relationships. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and everyone, just be sure to check out truelovedates.com for articles and podcasts, actually, from Deborah that dive even further into this topic. Yes, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Jordan. We're glad you joined us for this conversation about relationships and what makes them healthy. We'll be back next month with another Real Talk Grounded in Truth, and we hope you'll join us. For more information about this episode's guest and to access the links mentioned, please visit our website, forwardwomen.org. That's the number four, W-O-R-D-W-O-M-E-N.org, and then click on the podcast graphic on our homepage. Until next time.